This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Cool. Uh, my name is Vince LeBon. I'm the founder and designer of Rolly Nation. Uh, that's a footwear company from Australia. I love materials. I love color materials, actually, because I think it can absolutely change the, an entire product and emotion. What happens to a business if you look at the products you're producing and boil them down to their elements, strip away all the excess, and then innovate from there? Well, it changes everything. Vince LeBan did exactly that in footwear, creating designer footwear with energy-returning soles, memory foam socks, and thin and flexible materials, lighter than a flip-flop. You'll hear how this founder of Roly Nation, who is also a reality TV star, innovates footwear with a main focus on material sustainability. You'll also hear why he calls himself a design collaborator, why Jordans were the start of his company, and why his dream is to design a hotel room. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. Uh, so I remember when I met you a couple weeks ago, Fashion Week Brooklyn on a sustainability panel, and um, in addition to obviously noticing your accent among all us <laughs> New Yorkers, um, I heard this name, Rolly Nation and Footwear. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so uh, I launched uh, my own footwear brand about five years ago um, from Melbourne, Australia. It's a super lightweight um like super comfortable we take extreme risk with our colors and prints and so we just created this really great community of people that want to express themselves through footwear and just through living a fun and happy life um, I've also worked um, with a lot of sort of sports performance brands I was part of a, a TV show that just uh, launched called Lace Up um, where we designed sneakers for celebrities uh, for like every five days back to back for eight weeks it was inc- it was crazy. That's exhausting. How did yeah. that TV show come about, and kind of what was the impetus behind it? Um, so about two years ago, I sort of, I got my business to a point where I was really happy with it. Um, but I was designing about four days a season, and you know, even though I was very creative with the way I created my business model and the way that you know I connected with our, cons- our customers, I really just wanted to take a design sabbatical. So I um, reached out to Pencil and said, look, I'd love to be a part of your program. You know, they're a design sneaker academy in Portland. He's the ex-creative director of the Jordan brand. Um, And so, and the materials designer, Suzette Henry, is incredible. She's the first female uh, materials designer at Nike. And so I applied for color materials. um, And I actually didn't get through, funnily enough, for the first two times. Uh, and then, which I was a bit bummed out by, actually. But shows the power of persistence. Yeah, and uh, it was funny because I think the first time I almost felt like I was going to get in from the get-go, and then I didn't. I was like, wow, I've really got to go in and refine my skill set. And Dwayne said, don't worry, most people take some three to four times to get in. And uh, after the second time not getting in, I just made a commitment where I was like, I'm going to work on the fourth one before I'd even found out if I'd gotten in for the third and then I got in. And I think persistence is mindset is super, super important. Um, 
so yeah, I went there and we did a project with um, it was Foot Locker and Asics, uh, and I ended up winning that. It turns into a competition, and so that was just a short three week program. Um, so that shoe is going to launch next year, early next year under Asics with Foot Locker. Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. Um, and then they basically reached out and said, look, we've got this opportunity with a TV show. We'd love for you to apply. So I applied in uh, six months of an application process, got in, and then, um, yeah, the, the show started. Changes the aspect of design. Yeah. The creativity flowing and the pressure of the TV program. <laughs> it's like the combination of both. For sure. I mean, I think the show was meant to be a docodrama. Um, so it was very meant. It was very much meant to be structured around the original pencil class. When we got there, unfortunately, it wasn't. I mean, it was a reality show, and you know, we were mic'd up. They had eight man cameras on us full time, hidden cameras, hidden mics everywhere. You know, um, wow. it wasn't the most conducive place to create, you know, great product, <laughs> or like because you know you weren't sleeping well, you weren't eating that well. Sure, um, design pressures. Yeah, design pressures, but. The incredible part about it was we were just constantly on and we were working in small teams of three and the amount of work and the level of work that we created in such a small time was mind-blowing for me. I really did not expect because after every five days, they would reset and you'd have to start again. So it wasn't like you were able to build off the work that you had. Yeah, that's what I can't believe about Project Runway. It's like, yeah, you finish this uh, segment and you're right, you have to gear up and do it again. And I guess in some ways that is, although in a much shortened time span, kind of like building a business yeah. and growing and scaling your business in real life where you do have these collections and demands and time constraints. And even though it's a little bit longer, the, the pressures are real and there. And so, so you're working through those skills. Definitely. Just taking a step back for a minute. Obviously, a lot of this is centered on footwear. What, what, and why is it about footwear? We know we're in this days of Yeezy and mm -hmm. uh, you know fly knit and fly leather and that stuff. It's all amazing and taken hold. But what was it for you so long ago? The footwear that attracted you to it? Um, so I mean, I grew up playing basketball, um, and you know, coming from Australia, it was so hard to get Jordans back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, so they were put on an absolute pedestal, um, and so. I guess I did. I was actually a trained graphic web designer. So I did video, um, graphic design, bit of product design. And I got a job at a footwear company. So that's sort of how the whole process started. I was their multimedia designer. Um, and then what I noticed was the the owner of the business then was designing shoes. He was sketching shoes. He would send it to the factory. It would take three weeks to be made, sent back. He would make a million changes, mm -hmm. go back and forward. And this went on for about, you know, eight weeks just to get one shoe down until he went to China and then fixed it. And I just said to him, look, you're wasting so much money on time, factories, you know, going through all these iterations. And 50% of the changes were the factory not listening to his instructions and not making it correctly. But 50% were also him changing his mind. Right. Interesting. So yeah. what yeah. I decided to do is I had great Photoshop skills. I said to him, why don't we work on the shoe in Photoshop, get it to a point where you're absolutely 100% happy with it. Then we can send it to the factory, spec it up properly, and um, you're going to be 90% there. And so we cut down, you know, his sampling process and time drastically. Um, and it even got to the point where we were designing collections on Photoshop and selling shoes that weren't even made because they look so realistic. Um, and I think a lot of designers or 
as I like to call them, range builders. There's a lot of people out there that call themselves designers, but they're actually range builders and they're going into factories and just picking shoes that are already there or buying from a big retailer and just copying them. They sometimes struggle to see what a shoe looks like if it doesn't look realistic. They they can't see through the sketch. Or So in the fashion industry, you have uh, the spec sheet and it mm-hmm. will detail. Is it the same in the shoe industry? Uh, yeah. Do you place the shoe and then tell them the dimensions of each things and yeah yeah Yeah. so if you're like specifying tooling um you know which is the outsole you would definitely have a full-blown tech sheet uh tech pack um i i don't like to be restricted to one style of um sort of coming up with design so i i sketch a lot i do some i do 3d work i do photoshop i do illustrator uh i literally i'm a shoe bit of a shoemaker too so i'll cut shoes up do my own paper patterns so i yeah for me it's really more of a creative process um for bigger organizations they would just be creating you know spec sheets and but some of like adidas i've been able to been blessed to do some you know work with them and they're going back to that whole experimental phase of physically cutting up shoes, making them. and Well, you have to. I mean, aside from the value of getting your hands dirty and understanding it, I know in particular with shoe construction, when I'm dealing with the sourcing of innovative new materials, yes. there are a lot of particulars, unlike other fashion, to shoe construction and stretch and durability that need to be taken into account for. And with some of the newer materials, can't always be understood until you're doing that, even for the Nikes and Adidas of Correct. the world. Um, so it's critical. One thing I found really interesting about your shoes as I understand it, they are super light, lighter than a pair of flip-flops. Yeah. And yet I look at them and they look like fully beautiful constructed shoes. How did you innovate that and come up with the materials that you need to do that? Um, it was it was funny because I had been in the business for 10 years prior to launching this this business. And I just felt like I got to a point where I was like, okay, it's, it's time. And I'd already had some really good uh, relationships with factories and – when I came up with the concept, so I spent six months on the business model itself. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got to the product side of things, I know I knew I wanted something super light for my wife. She was a flight attendant. I wanted her to travel around the world, take as many shoes as she want and not weigh her down because she was buying, she was just sh- shopping at the time. She was a f- flight attendant, international flight attendant. And at that time she was a bit of a shopaholic. Now we've changed our lifestyle completely. Um, but she was just caught up in the buzz of it all mm-hmm. going overseas. And so um, when I came up with the concept, I wanted to really, um, you know, go down to the simplest form of a shoe. What does a shoe really need? And so we took out, um, you know, we took out shanks. So the metal shanks, which is in a shoe, yeah, that's for structure. What I did was created like an invisible heel, which it looks like it's actually a little bit like a wedge, but it doesn't look like a wedge. And so that allows you to distribute your weight evenly so you don't need the actual shank there. Uh, Originally, I took out all the counters front and back, um, but then over time I found a super, super thin 0.03 thermoplastic, uh, TPU thermoplastic counters from Germany. Um, So they're super, super light. Um, super flexible, but they hold their shape. So it was really just about um, taking things out, keeping what's necessary um, and challenging. I mean, the factory originally said, you can't take out shanks. You can't do this. You can't do that. I said, you can. 
That's a total Elon Musk principle. I think boiling something down to its essence and instead of thinking how to improve or copy or grow, how do we get it back to what it should be? Yes. Let's take a quick break there. Back soon, right after this. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Vince, before break, we were talking a little bit about the particulars of shoe construction and the materials. And I know and had read about your shoes as energy returning soles, memory foam, socks, thin and flexible. Can you walk us a little bit through the materials and the sourcing process you mm-hmm. used and what the innovations around that? Yeah, I think when you strip down and look at, you know, only having the basics of a shoe, every single component becomes much more important. And so every single material was considerably considered so went through the um you know the outsole that's where we essentially started from and so we wanted to have an eva compound that has it actually has a mix of rubber in there which allows um durability but also energy returning you know using energy returning foams um we have memory foam socks so that they essentially multi-foot but also bounce back and you know provide support we now have um molded you know pre-molded memory foam insoles removable insoles so you can put in your orthotics if you need to uh like i said the the counters um uh uh, the ips from germany they're incredible they're you know super super light super comfortable you don't have like people don't get blisters when you wear them first first day in um what was the trial process like that for sourcing and to find those things? Were there was it difficult, and were there a lot of things that you had to throw out that or that didn't work the way you thought? In any of the challenges? Yeah, I think the challenges. I mean, like I'd been in the business for a while, so you start to create, like have a bit of a toolbox of things that you can look to and say, right, this is an incredible material. Um, you also have vendors that you've been working with that you say, look, this is what we're looking for. Um, and then you also get things engineered for you to your specification. So I think it's a mix of the mm-hmm. three. Um, so your manufacturing, is it mostly in what location? So we manufacture currently because in Australia we're so close to to China. So I manufacture mm-hmm. in China and also in Portugal. Uh, the goal uh, is to have small satellite manufacturing um, in all the local markets that we sell to. So Australia, the US, New Zealand, all of that. Do you think that that would be feasible in a short period, long period? How, how do you see that developing? Um, you know, I think it's about... Um, you know, testing, reacting, and doing components initially. Um, but ideally, um, 
you know, I, I actually don't think it's very far away at all. I mean, Adidas has, you know, speed factories opening up all around the country. Uh, there's, you know, Nike has had IHM in-house manufacturing units for years now. And so I think, you know, a lot of people got uh, confused with the idea of customization being the future, but I actually think it's individualization and people are now seeing that and shifting their business models. So what does that mean to you? So to me, to my business, or what does it mean? Individualization as opposed to customization. So customization is where somebody, the average consumer can go to nikeid.com and go in and pick components of material, uh, colors and materials. Now, uh, although that's very exciting, it gives the consumer too much power. You know, most customers are not designers. So they don't know how materials play together, how how they look, how they feel, you know, how they respond performance-wise, you know, durability, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, individualization is where we create products products specifically for you. So whether that be fit, as a simple form of fit, it might be performance, it might be um, the way you, you know, particular colors and materials, but it's essentially we're designing for you or with you as opposed to you designing for yourself. So you're working very hard in the aspect of the research of the materials and getting all the detailed information to that. Is there anything that you're doing to protect yourself into every product and new product that comes up with? From IP? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes and no. I think, you know, the the bigger we've become, the more we get copied, right? Um, I'm not going to name names, but I had a company that copied my entire collection before it got released. Uh, you know and that was devastating Um, but what it did highlight is that we just need to continue to keep innovating you know I think and you're still here and growing and doing really well so kudos to you exactly so I think the thing we built such incredible brand loyalty that people it's like you can buy a fake Converse in JCPenney's or you know any cheap department store but people don't people buy the originals Um, and I think that sort of established um, my mindset and said, okay, we're, we're at a company that people believe in. We need to continue to innovate, continue to push the industry forward. And especially once we are able to innovate more in the production um, supply chain, it becomes much harder to copy because you're not copying our product. Like it's one thing to copy your product, but it's another thing to try to copy your brand and what you represent. And people see through that now. Yeah, so true. Going back a little bit to what we were talking about, the future of the industry and individualization, how much of a part do you think, we've talked a lot on this show about 3D printing Mm -hmm. and scanning and with everything coming out, is any predictions on where that's going? Are we all going to be printing our shoes at home in the future? And what does that mean for brands and businesses like the Nikes and Adidas of the world? Or how, how are they going to play together nicely? I don't think we're going to be printing our own shoes in our house because, I mean, shoes have so many components currently. Now, look, over time, that that'll ch- that has to change. Um, but I think that technology will continue to advance so quickly that our printers will become obsolete too quick. And I don't think we'll have access to – I think material science is going to be one of the most exciting spaces in design in general. So I think as that – continues to develop you're going to need new machinery it's relatively sure. new so I, I don't see that happening i see satellite where satellite factory is closer to market 
to people so that you can you can go in and you can buy a shoe and it'll be shipped out to you in a day or two days. Um, drop by drone. Yeah, I think it's going to be heavily robotically focused. Uh, I think that you know you'll be able to go online. They'll you'll buy a shoe. It'll be on demand. It'll there'll be an API link directly to the manufacturing hub. It'll be printed by a robot. You know, part human, part robot, sent straight out to you in a couple of days, and it's made. And so. My view on sustainability is uh, I think there's two places you can look. You can look at post-purchase or at the purchasing funnel where you're looking at looking at the labels and saying, right, you know, there's certain products you should buy, certain products you shouldn't buy, or even, you know, do we need this in real life or not? But then I like to focus on the design, the, early, the, the earliest possible at the design cycle. So designers, need, I believe, need to start, um, communicating with people and everything should be pre-sold on demand as opposed to mass produced and um, having people coming into stores saying, you know what, well, I'm, I'm not going to buy this product, but the, the product's already produced. So what's going to happen with that? Right. Right. No, huge problem, all the dead stock, both from yeah. people planet, but also from a profit perspective. Correct. And so when people start to see that, I think you start to realize, even though the word sustainability is so loaded and heavy, um, that this it just makes business sense and is the way business should be done. Correct. In how I know you touched on earlier that you had kind of a shift in yours and your wife and your family's mm -hmm. lifestyle around this. And what was that like and how did that play out in how you develop your shoe collection? Right. Um, so I think, like I said, my wife was a flight attendant, so she was caught up in the whole buzz of just, you know, she'd leave the kids and she'd go uh, overseas and she'd have 24 hours to do whatever she wanted. And she got given, um, you know, per diem and it was her money. She'd do yep. whatever she wanted. And so I think, um, and, you know, the Australian dollar was one-to-one -one at the time too, so it was exciting. <laughs> um but I think uh, when we decided a couple of years ago we were going to move to the U.S., um, it, it didn't happen immediately, but we knew it was going to happen. It started, it made us challenge what we needed in our lives because we weren't going to bring them with us. We couldn't, we could only, we went from a four-story warehouse conversion to a two-bedroom apartment here in, in Brooklyn. And so that allowed us to challenge every single purchase and I feel so much better for it. Yeah, a lot of people do the reverse. <laughs> as soon as you have kids go out and, yes. uh, you know, as much as I'm fighting with my family about pushing to stay here in New York with children, uh, you know, appreciate that you know, you're doing that too. But you're right, it forces you to streamline and what do you need and what don't you need from a personal and professional perspective. What does it mean to be here in America for you and your business? I mean, to, it's huge. To, I mean, Australia, I think I'm... Um, so blessed to be able to have a successful business in Australia. I mean, it's it's such a small market. It's dominated by a lot of vertical businesses and old blood money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we battled and we, you know, we got there and we built a really good community. Um, and I think we did it based off our values. Um, and just to be here in a much bigger market with people that are excited about innovating, innovating and um yeah, I think the opportunities are just so much bigger. The synergy between designers, huh? Yeah. And are you yeah. looking at kind of future collaboration opportunities for your business? Or does that, do you think, take away from the brand at all and you want to keep it kind of one brand separate and what you do consult different? No, so collaborations is our biggest focus. Um, I actually consider myself, so I call myself the founder of Designer Rolly, but I actually uh, brand myself as a design collaborator 
because I think even in my own business, I collaborate with people. I collaborate with my customers, my my staff, everything. But I, we collaborate with designers to do capsule collections together. And when I do that, it's not about just getting a print and putting on a shoe. It's about understanding why they're in the design world, what makes them, how do they think, how can we bring that into a shoe, how can we tell that story Um Right now we're a shoe company, but I don't consider I don't consider Rolly as a, a shoe company. I don't even consider myself as an actual shoe designer. You know, like we're an experience brand, and so however we can bring that to the world is what we do. We just happen to make footwear now because it's what I know best. And where you're kind of what you've seen as you've been doing these partnerships and and collaborations of where consumer preferences are now and and where do you think they're going when it comes to their taste and appetites for certain styles and sustainability and kind of where does that leave opportunity? So nearly everything we do from a collab point of view is almost all pre-sold. So this was my way in starting this ball rolling um, from a uh, B2C component. Like so in terms of the manufacturing process, to touch on a question you asked, you sort of mentioned before, when I came up with Rolly, I didn't have much money initially. And um, so I wanted to create one shoe which had the same outsole, same lace, same insole, same shoe box. So everything was all the same except the color and the material changed. So what that allowed was the factory to have quicker turnarounds, less wastage, uh, less R&D. You know, there was just – it really cut down the whole entire – process and so now we're going to the next step further where we're doing collabs and it's all pre-sold and that's where a good chunk of our business is coming through now the next phase will be um ordering on demand for you know i think that as designers we're too scared about when we're designing we're like really considering is this going to sell i think we need to really take that out of the thought process and be like why don't we just create and let customers decide if they want to buy it? And, you know, I think when you're designing eight months out, like most companies do, and they're bringing in so many pairs and they're selling to wholesalers and there's just so much risk involved, I would really, I want to eliminate that. I want to like allow designers to be creative and allow consumers to only buy what they really want to buy so there's no oversupply. So you mentioned a little while ago that you wanted to um, take away the aspect of the um the shoe and just more branding your company per se. Mm-hmm. What is your next ventures into your corporation? Um, I think, you know, now we've just moved to, to the U.S. to really grow the market here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're probably a couple of years away. We've, we need to establish ourselves with this product to get people to understand that, um, you know, we have a voice and we have a great product. I think when we diversify, um, You still need to, you know, just because you have brand equity doesn't mean you can create anything. You need to add value in every space that you're in. So if we happen to do, you know, if it stays in consumer products, if it's bags, we want it to be the best bag on the market, right? We want it to add value in people's lives. I want all the purchases to be considered purchases. Um, But my goal, like I would love to do a hotel, um, a hotel room, because it, it taps into all the senses, I think that, um, you know, I love the idea of being able to design the way people feel and the way people connect with things. 
and different materials in between it in a uh, hotel. Well, that's it's just incredible. it, right? There's only so much you can do in certain respects with certain apparel styles and shoes and rooms. But when, but I think now when people are realizing the power of materials and what that can do to change design and creativity, especially with the newer innovations, it opens up such a door for kind of creativity and innovation. And it is where brands are starting to differentiate themselves and why they're willing to kind of maybe even pay more per yard for the fabrics than they would, but they are able to reduce costs in other places to make Correct. it more efficient. Um, so wanted to touch a little bit on the name, Roly Nation, because obviously as a traditional kind of shoe name, it, 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 this evokes so much more. Why and how did you come up with that? So Roly is actually my wife's nickname. Um, so yeah, because it was in, the concept was really inspired by her. You know, I had a few concepts that I was playing around with, um, but the the one about my wife just felt honest and um, it felt like a really great place to start for my first venture. Um, and it just made sense to name it after her. I mean, it's Rolly and, and it's called Rolly Nation for a reason because we wanted to create a community. You know, it wasn't, it's not called Vince Lebon. You know, it's not even called Cat Lebon. You know, it's, it's Rolly represented my playfulness you know to her and that's you know and so we use that playfulness and then wanted to create a community around it that's awesome uh i know that uh, you have a boy yes. i think i saw on instagram that he was at the nba the other night high-fiving yes. some uh cool lineups uh, mm -hmm. despite hopefully nba and certain teams in new york start doing better but that's okay <laughs> yes. uh as a new yorker we're used to this um do you do children's footwear and have you thought about it for them and kind of what are the considerations that are different in terms of materials and styles for them? So, yeah, we have done kids, uh, kids collection before. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people love the kids collection, but um, what we did is we made the women's and men's shoes down in kid sizes and we didn't re-engineer them mm -hmm. any differently. And that posed a massive problem because the prices were too expensive. And so although people like them, they didn't feel that um, they wanted to sort of spend that much money on a kid's shoe. So most kid's shoes are re-engineered to much cheaper materials, a lot of them synthetics or a lot of them, um, you know, action leather, PU-coated leather. Um, and we didn't do that. We used full-grain aniline leathers um, for our kid's shoes, and it, it just really didn't. It's, it, well, I'm sure they're beautiful, but having a two-year-old, it's a little hard, and they grow out in like one week, and quick. I just bought this awesome shoe, and I'm like, no, we only wore it once, but it happens, and that's You part. didn't have that many foot models. That's really the reality, right? <laughs> right. Foot models yes. and proof of development and, and trials. <laughs> well, it's, I think <laughs> it's Having all the flight attendants yeah. <laughs> on your fingertips. Well, we had, I started kids because I had my son, <laughs> you know, and I wanted him to rock rollies, and so... Yeah. Um, <laughs> He he was wearing them. People loved them, and we started rolling them out, and uh, it was really good. Like we saw, we saw quite a few, but it's a different business. Yep. Kids is a different business to men's and women's, and we, we were a small company at the time, and we just didn't have the resources, so we pulled back and just thought it's better to focus on what we know, what we know really well, um, until we get to a point where we can actually throw the resources at it properly. And but the reality is, I would prefer to focus on innovation in the material space first so what would you want to innovate any material out there that you've thought of without giving away too much that you don't want to disclose that you think is un not as well served in the market or we're not thinking maybe for here or outer space um 
there's there's a lot. I mean, I I love what um you know PrimeNet and FlyNet did to Nike. I think the fact that there's you know almost no waste yep. in that. I think you know it's produced by robots too. Then you know the machinery is you can link it through APIs directly into software and platforms. I think is incredible. How do we do that with other materials? Mm-hmm. Is what excites me. Um, I also like the idea of genetically modified leathers. Um, you know, I like things where we can, um, I, on the show, if you watch, I think episode six, we did a future, uh, episode. I won't tell you who wins cause I wins cause I don't want to give it away, but <laughs> we worked on uh, a technology called, um, brain computer interface, BCI, and we had self lasting, um, an upper that self lasted. So MIT are working on this technology. It's self assembly. So you cut the material and with certain frequencies, it can actually self form itself. And so, oh yeah, there's lots of things. Wow. Claytronics. Future is bright. Uh, Let's stop there. We'll take a quick break. Back right after this. Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, so my bigger head to chase you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. I'll talk with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train. You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard. Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable. And so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this. And now, it's Remnants. You seem so excited about materials. Yes. What is your favorite material and why? I'm going to say a material that I haven't even used yet, but I would love to use it. Uh, Echo have a material which is semi-transparent leather. And they were able to pull out the cells that create the pigment. And I just think that's incredible to be able to use something like that. Um, You know, I'm a traditional, like, shoe guy you know i'm young but i feel like an old shoe dog so i love leather but i think that it's very wasteful i think that um that's why i like genetically modified leather i think that there's ways so taking it away from the um business aspect yes is there anything that you would construct for yourself personal use with that material uh yeah for sure i i would love to make so many products in that material Oh my gosh. I just, I love the idea of like layers and having different textures play with each other. And, um, is that what you, 
Yeah, and it was kind of cool with, uh, I don't know, you follow Susan Lee, BioCouture and Modern Meadow, and obviously with BioCouture, before Modern Meadow, where over time it, it, it changed, right? Yeah. It would it kind of wear away a little bit and age like a leather, but it was bacteria, but it kind of fall away, and like you, your clothing can change with you. Just a, a very cool concept. Um, so right now on your phone, what are two or three of your favorite apps that you are obsessed with using that you cannot live without? Oh, since I've moved here to the US, I've downloaded so many apps. <laughs> it's oh not as big God. in it's, Australia? It, no. I mean, I had the same apps forever and a day, but here there's just everybody has an app. Um, I'm listening to um, – a, there's a Macon um, podcast um, app that I'm sort of a huge fan of. They're the ex-Hype Beast guys. Um, what else am I looking at? Can I get my phone right now and have a Yeah, of course. <laughs> Surprised it's not on you right now. We live without yeah. our phones. So Mapster is very big for uh-huh. me because I'm new to the city. Really? I mean, I yeah. I don't use my phone as much as for business. You know, I'm very much um, – I like to work on my on my computer and my laptop. You know, I, I use Asana. Asana is, you know, a huge part of my workflow. Um, so it's just like a task-based application. Uh, I'm using a lot of Dropbox paper too which is the new Dropbox uh, mm-hmm. service for collaboration. So having an office in Australia, I've got 15 people there. That's a great way to collaborate, both of those tools. I'm just curious. Your wife is a flight attendant, yes. you mentioned. Yes. And um, obviously, I mean, I'm from a family of flight attendants or airlines. Oh, right. You get to travel. Yes. Is there anywhere that you actually love to go to? Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many places. I've traveled a lot in my life, um, but I would love to go to Brazil. Uh, that's definitely a place I'd love to go to, Israel. Mm. Uh, I want to go to India too for colors and food. You haven't been spice. before? No. Oh, it's, it's an incredible place. Yeah. I've done some shoes there, but I haven't actually visited yet. Awesome. Uh, as you reflect back kind of on your personal, professional career, any final thought, message to leave with our listeners, words of wisdom? Um, I think just don't get complacent. I mean, I keep learning every day. You know, I think my that design sabbatical I did at, at Pencil really just sparked something new in me again to just be creative. I think I was so caught up in just running my business and I was really happy. I was getting a lot of wins, but to then reset and uh, do pencil. I then went to Slem and did a course. Uh, I did a 3D shoe making course in Netherlands, and then I did a wearable tech workshop in Italy. Uh, then I did the pencil TV show. So it's just been... Keep learning. Keep learning. It's been incredible. And I, and I think, especially in material science, like I truly believe it's the future. I think we're just getting started, and people are starting to see the real benefits. Definitely. And Vince, how can our listeners connect with you and with your business as well as any businesses you want to call out to? Uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, it's Vince underscore LeBon. Uh, or my, I can give you out my personal email. It's Vince at RollyNation.com. Um, so, yeah, if you're a designer or somebody wanting to innovate in the production supply space or, you know, you're working on some incredible materials, um, you know, we'd love to talk. And he's in Brooklyn for anyone uh, in the area too looking to collab. 
Thank you so much, Vince, for joining us. Really appreciate having you. Thank you guys for listening and for Samantha Cortez. Adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Back next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.